Hello, friends. Welcome to the Best Speech Podcast, where we talk to speakers about what makes them tick on stage, what enables them to succeed on stage. And today, we have my friend Ashley Foss with us. So, by the way, I'm your host, Mike Pacquion. Ashley and I worked together at Duarte back in the day. These days, she's far more important. She's the Director of Integrated Product Marketing at Atlassian. Ashley makes me laugh. She describes herself as a marketer, a writer, a speaker by day, but at night, she's a singer, an actor, and a fitness fiend. Um, I wanted to have Ashley on for a couple of reasons. First of all, she's a really good speaker, but also because Ashley can speak to the difference between presenting day-to-day corporate world where you're presenting, at least in her case, she's presenting like every single week versus a big on-stage thing where you have months and months and months to prepare. So Ashley and I talk about both of those things. She's got some really, really great tips about presenting in the corporate world. One of the ones that I love that she talks about here is how you can prepare the person that you're speaking to with your meeting invites. Take a listen to that part. I mean, listen to the whole thing, but that part in particular like really got my attention. Ashley is so great. I think you'll love this. You'll love her talking about her theater background as well. I did forget to ask her about a charity, so I just texted her afterwards. The gift that I'm doing for all of season three is a $50 donation. Her charity of choice is Room to Read, which is a leading nonprofit for children's literacy and girls' education across Asia and Africa. So you can check them out, roomtoread.org. One last thing to add, I should have said this last episode, Summer for me, like a lot of people, is really packed. So we're going to do a rhythm of every two weeks podcast in the summer. I'm away a lot of July, August, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, you don't need to hear the justification. We'll do this every two weeks in the summer. We'll come back again weekly in the fall. But I shall stop talking at this point, my friends. Check out my interview with the great Ashley Foss. Today, uh, I'm joined by Ashley Foss. Ashley and I used to work together at Duarte. I was always impressed with how intense you were. And I mean that in a good way, because there's like bad intense and there's good intense, but you just, <laughs> you just like love business and you love running and you love working out and you, you, you love all these things. And one of the reasons I wanted to have you on here today is because you can dip back and forth between, between a couple different worlds. Uh, Ashley has a theater background, so she can talk about theater. Ashley has presented on like huge stages, thousands of people, big keynotes, and she also does all kinds of little little presentation, might be the wrong way of saying it, but a lot, all kinds of internal presentation. So a lot of people who've listened to the show have said, hey, this is cool, but what do I do when I'm presenting like my Q2 update? Now, how, how does this stuff change? So goodness, Ashley is a, uh, a good person to talk to. Ashley works for Atlassian. If you're not in the software world, you might not know who that is. I was always amused when I was at Duarte and I would I would get assigned to a company and I was like, you know, Googling who they were. And then it's a multi-billion dollar company, which describes it last hand, right? So, uh, Ash, welcome. <laughs> That's my prolonged intro. Welcome to the show. I'm super excited to be here, Mike. It's so funny. Uh, you're, I think, the first person who said my last name correctly and also my company name correctly. Like, we get all sorts of crazy what? Atlassian, Atlassian, <laughs> like, Atlassian. I mean, it's a similar, when we worked together at Duarte, right? We got Duarte, yeah. Duarte, like, so many crazy <laughs> names, right? So I don't know what it is. And I, apparently, I guess you and I, as a pair, we just, and I, you know, again, I know your last name gets butchered. So maybe, butchered. maybe this is actually 
the one thing we have in common. Like this is our true commonality <laughs> is our last names and our company names are hard. Uh, that's why we could, that's why we could mesh because you were always, you were always way faster than me at everything. And, <laughs> but we could bond over mispronunciation. That's what it was. Exactly. Um, exactly. All right, Ashley, break it down for me. So on the pie chart of Ashley being on a stage, what percentage of that is like a theater stage, keynote stage, or internal? Which I, I realize internal is like sometimes on Zoom and stuff, but an internal stage. Like what? What's the breakdown of each of those three? Yeah, I think I'm gonna go probably thirty percent theater, forty uh, percent. Man, you're making me do math here. This is really again, funny. Speaking now, you got to do math. I was, I was honestly, my gut was to say basically like 30, 30, 30, but that only gets us to 90%. So I'm more heavily weighted on internal stages and theater than I am on like keynote stages at this point. So I think I'm going to go, it's like 30% theater stage, maybe 50% internal stages of various sizes, and then call it like 20%, uh, you know, bigger kind of external. Yeah, bigger stage. stage. Got it. Yeah, yeah. And which of those three do you like the most? Oh man. I like them all for different reasons. I don't, I can't choose a favorite. Come on now. That's, you know, I do, I do theater because it's good for my soul and like good for my mental state. I, I just love it. I'm super passionate about it. The internal stages, the cool thing about that is that you get to keep seeing the results because you have those ongoing relationships. You see how it continues to play out. Um, and then the bigger external stages, I mean, those are just so energizing so energizing because you get that immediate real-time yeah. feedback. It's your unique ideas that you're putting out into the world. And then in some cases they do result in long-term relationships where people come back and say, Hey, I used your framework and I love seeing how things perform out in the wild. You know, sometimes you get in your own head and you're like, this works for me. So maybe it'll work for everyone. And then you put it out. And if nobody comes back to you, you're just like, Oh no, it only works <laughs> for me. It doesn't work for anyone else. So I actually love when people come back and say, Hey, I tweaked it. That's awesome. That's the point. I'm not giving you rules. I'm trying to give you a framework. And so you've got to tweak it for your specific context and those kinds of things. So I love them each in different ways. I can't, I can't choose a favorite. But that's, see, you make a good point there though, because it, it does get messed up when you speak at a conference and people think that what Ashley does works for everybody. Yeah, and maybe that's the partially the way that the conferences arrange things. They make it seem like, hey, this is the way. Right. Well, maybe. Uh, let's start there though, because you are moving into a part of your career where you get asked to speak, right? Versus yeah. having to apply. A lot of people who listen to this have to apply. So, do yeah. you have suggestions when there is an application process? What, what is what has been uh, lucky is the wrong word. What has worked for you as you're applying to speak at a conference? I think that the first thing that works for me, and I tell this to anybody that I work with from a thought leadership or personal branding perspective, you have to go back and create all of those pitch materials. Don't create them on the fly, create them ahead of time. So work through your narratives, understand what you actually have that resonates with people. That's a problem. You have the depth to solve. You understand it. You understand the audience. Then I usually go through and write 
the abstract. So pretty much every application is going to request somewhere around um, between 150 words and 300 words as the abstract. And then they're also going to request the three key takeaways. Like what is something that they can do immediately after the talk, whether it's a framework, whether it's metrics, whether it's a mindset shift, like depending on the depth of the talk, write all that out and then go through and put together at least five different title options. And they need to be clear. Like I have struggled in the past when I've tried to be too clever and it's like, I don't know what this is, right? And I think that's the other problem. People try to be too clever in their titles, their abstracts and their key takeaways. Save that nonsense for social media. Save that nonsense (laughs) for Twitter. Like, nah, dude, you're not, nobody cares how funny you are. They just want to know, should I attend this talk or should I not? The next thing that's made me successful is I go actually ask. I'm fortunate to have a network of folks who are my audience. And so I ask them, I go back to them and I say, read this, edit it. You know, you've heard me speak. You know how I think about this topic. Does this abstract feel like something that you would be interested to attend and that I can actually deliver on what I have written down? So all of those things, I think, Um, I also ask them like, which title resonates with you the most? Why does it resonate with you the most? So for me, I spend a lot of time on those pitch materials. I ask people, I get feedback, I edit it, I go through a couple of cycles and then it's like, okay, this is what I'm pitching for the year. I'm not coming Mm. up with pitches on the fly. And that's the other thing that I see a lot of people do. They see the deadline and, oh shoot, it's tomorrow. Okay. Let me just, I know I could talk about that. No, this is serious time. Look, in the beginning of the year, I literally made a spreadsheet of all the conferences and figured out, okay, here's kind of the core topics that I can talk about. Here's my pitch for the year. Which pitch is going to which conference? And that's how I've been successful because I'm specifically matching this well-crafted pitch that I've had a lot of feedback and iterations on to this conference. Not every conference gets the same pitch. They get in on different topics. Um, and so that's that's what I would say is you've got to have do that prep work up front. Don't try to craft it on the fly, um, and don't try to be too clever. Mm, that's good. And the other thing that you said in there that I think is important is run it by your target audience and get their opinion because yeah, they're a better judge. So here are my yeah. five titles. Which of these do you like, or yeah. not which you like? Which which would you attend? Right. Exactly. That's the real question. Exactly. And I test a lot of this stuff on LinkedIn. So I put out a talk um, or I, I was working on a talk thinking about this. It's a new talk for me called the social media spectrum and setting up this new framework. And, you know, how do you behave? What kind of content do you publish? How do you measure it? Those kinds of things. And I put it out initially a few months ago on LinkedIn and it really resonated. And so I was like, all right, cool. This topic has legs. A few months later, I basically was kind of riffing on it and I put it out again in a slightly different way and it tanked. And so I was like, all right, the topic is interesting. When I present the topic Mm. in this way, people engage with it. They have questions. So it's an interesting topic, but basically this format and this title and the way of framing it does not resonate with people. And so I was like, well, maybe it's just that one post. So I reached out to somebody uh, who had commented because I asked, I then put it the next day. I was like, Hey, this tanked. Why? Why do you people not like this? And I got some really good feedback. So then I reached out to a few people to say, hey, you left a really good comment. Um, let's. Will you give me some feedback? I'm thinking about tweaking it in this way. So it's not just reaching out to one person. Put it out on Twitter. Put it out on LinkedIn. Deliver it to some of your peers and see if it actually resonates. And then, again, same thing. Would you, would you spend 45 minutes at a conference 
listening to me talk about this? No? Okay, why not? You know, and you have yeah. to, you have to be willing for people to say like, nah, it's not, it's not working. You know, it's not working. It's not working. That's really good. I feel like people struggle with the application process because I think most people do what you just identified, which is, oh, the deadline's two days. Let me just come up with something versus it being more, well, Ashley's an overachiever. So of course, at the beginning of the year, you would like identify all this stuff. But if it were someone, if it were me and it's two days from now, like, oh my gosh, I had no idea about this conference. This is a dream conference. What should I be doing, Ashley? I didn't do, I didn't, January 1st, I wasn't like, here's everything I'm pitching this year. Yeah. What should I do? Yeah. I would immediately sit down and say, and you hear this all the time. It's a, it's a meme on social. of like, what's the one thing you could stand up and talk about for one hour with no prep? Uh, yeah. No, but literally what is that? What is the thing that, that you could do that on and does it match this conference? Um, and again, Mike, like, I feel like you're not a fair person to ask either because you're such a good speaker. <laughs> On the fly, you work with so many different types of people. You already know who you are in terms of, you know, what you offer, what you're selling, your unique value. So I almost feel like neither of us are a good person to answer this question. It's like, no, what does the person do that's that doesn't know who they are? So yeah. I would sit down and I, I talk about this in general from a content perspective. Sit down and look at what I call content depths. So conceptual, strategic, and tactical. What's the why, what and the why of the idea? Um, help frame up that problem space. Uh, that's conceptual. Strategic, what are the key tools, processes, knowledge components that somebody needs to solve their problem? So framing up the solution space and equipping them to do their own research. And then from a tactical perspective, what's the nitty gritty? What's the, pres um, the prescriptive step-by-step -step instructions, ongoing habits that they need to make that conceptual idea reality? So sit down and start with that. So if you look at the conference and you say, oh, it's my dream conference, it's my dream audience, in theory, you have some reason why you think that is. You think that you have an offering or expertise that is a fit for this conference. So sit down, work through your content depths. That gives you what you're going to pitch in general. Then you go through and dedicate the time to work through that abstract. I would say the title, uh, you would basically want to crystal clear of what the problem is that you're going to solve. So distilling that conceptual idea down, that becomes your title. The strategic depth becomes that 150 to 300 word abstract. Mm -hmm. So that's basically, you know, the framework that you're going to share or the key knowledge components or the tools that you're going to walk through. And then the key takeaways are your tactical, some element of your tactical thing. Here's the five steps. Here's the metrics, whatever that is. So that's how that content depths then translates directly into your abstract. And again, if you're seeing this conference and you're like, this is a perfect fit for me, in theory, working through that content depths exercise, very focused of what would this talk be, and then translating each of those elements into the title, the abstract, and then your key takeaways. That's how I would quickly get to basically pitching on the fly. Yeah, that's good. And one of the things that strikes me is it sounds like that takes two hours. And I think most people in an application want to spend 12 minutes, 13. Yep. Yeah. Yep. It's a couple hours for sure. Especially if you don't already have that work done. Again, yeah. Mike, like, I feel like you and I already have our content depths done for a couple of different things. So sure, maybe you and I could sit down and like bang it out in 30 minutes. But if you haven't done that, even then. Ever, it's going to be a couple hours. 
Yeah, but even then, like I, I would shortchange myself. I know my own habits. I would shortchange myself. I wouldn't. I wouldn't write down what the real benefit is to the audience, which is a big thing that the audience cares about, right? Like so. I mean, this is just like speaking. This is just like applying for a job. This is like a lot of things in the world. There's a way of doing it fast and mediocre, and there's a way of doing it that gets results. So <laughs> yeah, do it Ashley's way. So we, we talked about applying for keynotes, and I, you talked about how much you love being on the stage and getting feedback from people. Let's transition from there to talking about presenting internally. Sure. There's less glory presenting internally. I mean, unless it is just giant company and annual kickoff, that sort of thing. But your yeah. your weekly or bi-weekly update type presentation, or even if it's a pitch, there's less glory in that. Yeah. But you said you love it. What do you, what do you love about that? I think the thing that I love about it is that it's immediately actionable and it results in immediate work. So... Here's an example. I were working through some big content strategy questions that touch a number of different teams at Atlassian. And being a person who works in this space, and you know, I'm generally, as you have said, quite intense, I tend to get asked for my opinion on these things, or I get, to, <laughs> get asked to weigh in on these things, right? So my I've, I've implemented a new rule over the last couple of years. If I get asked the same question three times, then I need to create a video, write a blog post, you know, put it, I, I need to codify it somehow. I can't just keep answering the same question over and over. So uh, I, I finally hit the threshold where I got asked and it was a big question. And so that's why I didn't sit down at the beginning because I was like, I don't listen, I don't own every piece of this and I don't have time to go get buy-in from everybody. And can I just throw my opinion at you and, and be done? And the, no. The answer is no. So I finally sat down and codified this into a presentation. And it's about a 10-minute presentation connecting a few things that are bigger questions that people are trying to answer and some very tactical work that my team is doing on a regular basis. And so now when people ask me, hey, I'm working on insert this piece of the puzzle that might <laughs> connect. Do you have a have any thoughts on that? I can say, yes, here's a video. This is the vision that I'm painting. Here's how it all connects. Here's the pieces that I don't know or I don't know under, you know, I don't own. And so therefore you fill those in, but here's how I see it connecting. And so that is what I have started sending people. It's now an asynchronous presentation. And they usually come back with, oh my gosh, I, I see the vision. I see how it all connects. I disagree with this one piece. Great. Now we can have a conversation about why you disagree with it. Um, is it a piece that I don't actually own? So it doesn't matter if you disagree with it because you own it, do it the way that you think you should do it. Right. So it just, it starts those conversations and I see the next steps, both in terms of the work that I can contribute to the work that my team can contribute to. And then ultimately down the line, the impact that that's going to have depending on which path we take. So that's why I love it because I'm like, these are big strategy questions and I can paint these pictures, but ultimately I may not be the person who owns that work or mm. drives getting it done. And so getting to see what happens in three months, six months, a year, did this vision come to life? How did it change? Where did I plug in? All of that is the most fun for me. So how do you prepare, like contrast these two things? How do you prepare for a keynote, which you probably have months to put together, versus Ashley, I, I don't know, is there a, a presentation you're constantly giving? 
The, is there like an update or something? Yeah, yeah. So the con, so we have. There's a couple of presentations that uh, I, I tend to end up giving. Um, one of them is around employee advocacy, social selling, being active on LinkedIn, for example, like something yeah, yeah. in that vein. Mm-hmm. And the way I, again, the way I prepare for that, and this is a constant drumbeat, is that I have already prepared. I already have the follow-up materials. I already know about this topic. And so if something is not in my wheelhouse, then I direct them to someone else. Like even internally, I am fortunate that I have that flexibility to say, you know, I'm not the right person to talk about this. Here's who you should be talking to. And so because I really only take things that I'm capable of talking about, I have already prepared some form of a page that I can walk through or a couple of examples, right? So, and again, relying on that rule of if I get asked three times, okay, I am apparently the person that's going to talk about this. (laughs) That signals to me whether I think I'm the person to answer this question or not. Everybody else seems to think I am. So it's on me now that if I want to be able to answer that question effectively in the future, I want to do this pre-work to have a page or have a deck or have an example. It could be a LinkedIn thread. It could be a presentation I've given externally. I think so that's, it's a two-pronged answer. The first is make sure you are actually the person who should be doing this. If not, be connected in your organization to know who should be giving that update. Number two, if you get this question multiple times, you are the person who should be able to answer it. So take the time to do that pre-work so that you're you're able to come and and that preparation is just around okay who is this audience and why do they care about this now and what kind of buy-in do they have did something happen on their team or something changed they just got a new goal added to their plate and they suddenly are like we don't know how to do this Ashley knows how to do this I don't know get her to come tell us how to do it is it a long-term strategy thing. They just hired a new leader. And so they're trying to figure out what do we do over the next 12 months? That's a very different conversation than everything's on fire and we need you to help us now. So okay, so let's uh, hold on. Let's take this as an example, because if, if I were giving a keynote and the topic was, we just hired a new leader yeah. and everything's on fire. Yeah. I would try to be super creative. Like I would come up with some story at the beginning. I would read about I don't know, something that happened with the Baltimore Orioles in 1987. Uh, Orioles were really bad that year, but that's just an example. Like that, that would be the type of thing that I would, I would move towards doing. I would try to be real creative, dramatic, all these things. Do you feel like that works when I'm just presenting around the conference table? Does that feel weird? I think it depends on the company culture. So our company culture um, memes are totally okay. Like my, uh, the, the social media person on my team actually just gave an update. We were, you know, in this vein, I have now transitioned a lot of that to her. She's an excellent person to talk about it. And she was like, what people think social media is. And she showed a GIF and then she was like, what it actually is. And then she showed another, you know, (laughs) contrasting GIF. Right. And she was presenting to an audience of developers internally. And the ask was, we get deep questions from our customers on Twitter, LinkedIn, Reddit, et cetera. We need product and engineering experts to engage with them. So we want you to help us. It can't just be the branded handle answering these questions, right? And so that I think is a very, you know, we needed to get their help. We wanted to ask them to do something outside their comfort zone. Um, And 
so, and we, we just had a big need for this and we didn't have enough people. So we're kind of in a bad spot and, and right coming to them. And so that meme culture really resonates with developers. And so even though they don't totally get the social yeah. media platforms coming in and immediately hitting them with like, you understand contrasting memes, they could immediately be like, okay, we see, like we, we connect with this, right? I, I've done this before when I've come in and I'm like, you hear this, this, and this. But real talk, right? And yeah, then yeah, yeah. Him with let's be honest, you know, you think I'm coming here to tell you this incorrect. And immediately people are like, oh, are, okay, that's we're having a different conversation. So I I don't think that the highly aspirational, especially for sitting around a conference table, you know, you came to me with a specific right. question, and in fact, I need to re- reframe that question for you. I my my tactic in most of those situations is to restate the obvious and then immediately talk about how and why I'm going to reframe or redirect the conversation if that's what needs to happen. Again, for a lot of the conversations that I get pulled into, if you bring me in, you probably are trying to shake up whatever it is you think you should be doing. Um, You know, again, my weekly updates with my team, like, that's not a presentation. That's a conversation. Mm-hmm. So if you bring me in and present to you to train you on how to do something, to explain the strategy, to talk about why you should do this or that, you're probably in a place where you, your gut reaction is to disagree with me. And so I need to come in and say, this is what you think you want. But in fact, this is what we're actually going to do. And here's why. And just dive right in, hit them kind of square between the eyes. And then that's how you get people versus if I come in with like, let me tell you all about this famous Broadway star. They're like, I don't care about Broadway. Like (laughs) I got this mandate. I was told to do this or, or something broke and now we're trying to fix it. And you apparently know how, like they don't care about, you know. Adina Menzel and her, you know, singing flat on New Year's Eve. They don't freaking care about that. Right. I love the random examples we're pulling. Um, <laughs> you you identified there something that I just think is super strong, whether it's a keynote, but especially an internal presentation, which is here's what's broken right now, whether the audience agrees with me or not. Here's what's broken right now. And here's how we fix it. Or here's why it's broken right now. Like that as a format, I think is really, really strong. And you can use yeah. that just about anywhere. What about theatrics internally? You know, like, let me give an example. I'm working with a guy who is presenting tomorrow. We've got this awesome ending, but he couldn't, he's just like, Mike, how do you, how do I get from this slide to the next slide? What's the transition? And I said, Oh, you don't, (laughs) said you don't have to like, just, just stop talking for like four seconds, walk to the center of the stage, put your head down and then start talking again. That's your transition. You don't need words to do it, but that would be, I feel like that would look ridiculous internally. Or am I wrong about that? I think I might be biased given that uh, two of our like very senior leaders, like executive titles, just showed up to our town hall yesterday to give the quarterly update wearing Elvis costumes. And <laughs> they basically like framed up the results in Elvis lyrics. So they're like, yeah, dear work management got all shook up with this, right? So again, this company culture, like if you're Oracle, they're not showing up in Elvis costumes. They're not. Maybe doing that's that. what, yeah. Maybe that's what my question is, right? Because I've worked at companies like that too, where yeah. 
I mean, I remember dressing up as Santa Claus for an update once and that was yeah. encouraged. But that yeah. that would look real strange at other places. Yeah. But what do you, I don't know. What do you, so let's just take generic company X. Yeah. I think I think there's variations. I think that there it, it is possible and I think it does resonate in, even in more traditional companies. I, the the baby step I would say you could take is to frame up the yeah. whole presentation in cliches. Hmm. So you come in you work at, you know, old school Oracle, old school Deloitte, right? Like these these traditional yeah. companies. You're, you're at a bank, right? And everybody comes in in their suit and tie and they think that they're just going to get, yes, we're going to get another like, quarterly update. Literally <laughs> open the talk with, I know everyone here is super excited to hear all about the quarterly update. Am I right? And you click and it's whatever the cliche is from the movie The Office, Everybody can relate to that, right? And then you start talking about today we want to congratulate, you know, the sales team, right? They they went above quota. And then the next slide is again from the office. So they are showing up with 35 pieces of flair. I know that the minimum is only 20 pieces of flair, but this quarter the sales team hit it out of the park with 35 pieces of flair. That is just far enough for the audience to stay awake and pay attention, but you still are able to kind of frame it up in terms of like hitting quota or exceeding the numbers or mm. whatever it is. Right. And you're, you're starting to take those steps to where it's not just like in Q3, we did blah, 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 blah. Right. Like we, um, we are fortunate at Atlassian to have had uh, two really amazing CFOs. And of course they have to go through the earnings. And one of our CFOs, he is delighted, like every time, surprised and delighted by the animations in his talk, right? Like there's, you know, it's a, it's a line graph and it goes up and then he clicks and then it shows the trend line. And every time he's like, oh, and there's a nice animation there. I just, oh, good job, presentation designer, right? Like, and it just, you just feel so pleased to watch this boring presentation with a graph with the bars, right? Because he's so genuinely surprised and delighted. And every time it's like, you know, there's going to be an animation where the bar chart grows and the trend line comes. Why is he so delighted every time? But he is. He just, and he's like, and that's what we love to see, don't we? The line going up and to the right. And we're like, you know what? We do love to see that, you know? And so again, just, I think, I think you can add just a little, it doesn't have yeah. to, if it doesn't feel authentic to you either lean hard into the shtick, like full on wear your Elvis outfit and wig or lean hard into being genuine. It's gotta be one of those two. If you're not committed to the gimmick, then it just falls completely flat. Mm. So I think what I'm also hearing is that humanity is a good thing. I mean, even as simple as saying, oh, look at that animation. That's, yeah. That's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. What, you, what about when you're presenting to people who are more senior than you? I mean, that that can be scary. Even if the people are nice, yeah. you're typically presenting to someone who doesn't have a whole lot of time and they're supposed to be in 17 different meetings at the same time. What are some tips you have? And my question is both mentally and if you have any content tips too, but mentally and content, what are some tips for presenting to people who are more senior or just scarier than you? Yeah. Scarier than me. I think the biggest thing is 
tell them the thing up front. So I'll give an example. I recently had to present, not had to, got to. I, I love our CMO, so I shouldn't say had. I, I yeah. got the chance to present to our CMO. Yeah. And it's about this program that I just launched, our Associate Product Marketing Manager program. And he had heard, I mean, obviously he approved the headcount for this cohort of people. So he vaguely knew that he had approved something and... Apparently, I was there to give him an update on like where the program was. Other than that, he had no idea. And so I just started and I said, as you know, we're launching an APMM program. Yay. Let me tell you what we've launched. Here's the goals of the program. Here's how it's built. And immediately he was like, oh, you've you got a whole program built. Like, I thought you were just telling me that like, oh, and I was like, no, we hired people. Here's, here's how they're going to learn. Here's how the program is structured and just go through it and pause after each slide to say, you know, here's the information. Do you have questions? No, continue on. Here's the information. Do you have questions? And so I didn't need to convince him to do anything. This was literally an update of where things were a status update, but I wanted him to leave feeling excited and confident that what I had built and the people we were bringing in, that this was going to be a great experience and a value-added experience for Atlassian, for my career, for the people's careers that are coming in, and overall for the entire organization. And so that's what I did is I just told him the information and connected the dots very explicitly. I think sometimes people think when they're talking to senior people that they have to wow them with theatrics, right? Like I have to have a theme for this presentation. And the reality is, The solution is the incentive. He was excited to see that it exists. It had thought. It had goals. Other people were bought in. That's that's what excited him. I didn't need to do memes. I didn't need to do cliches. I didn't need to do a whole song and dance. The song and dance, like in this case, the steak, that is the sizzle. I don't need to sizzle. I have actual steak, right? And so... It was a super fast conversation. And then I I gave him a place to go with more information that was also curated for someone at his level. So the leave behind also had a box at the top where I said, you'll see that this page is quite long. So you know I've thought about it. You know I've solved these problems. This mm. box that'll take you two minutes to read, this gives you all of the takeaways. And then if you want to look at the rest of the page because you want to nerd out, great, you can do that. So the credibility of, I did the thing, I'm telling you I did the thing, and I have a robust leave behind. It doesn't even matter if he reads the full leave behind. The fact that he can see how much thought has gone into it, yep. that is enough for him to walk away. And what I wanted him, I was clear on what I wanted him to walk away with, which was confidence and excitement. There is no other action item for him to do. He can read the page or not read the page. If he walks away confident and excited after the, you know, my update, I win. I did my job. Yeah. And it's interesting, but your approach is good there because what a lot of people do is all the all the competence that you were putting into the leave behind, a lot of people try to present all of that. Yeah. But my experience, and it sounds like you're saying the same thing, is that like what what a leader actually wants is something structured and thought out and concise. And if they want to read the leave behind later, that's great. But they're yeah. they're impressed by competence. Exactly. And that yeah. that the other thing I would say, like you don't always have the opportunity to build that trust 
I have built trust with him. We've worked on a couple of different projects. I've presented to him a number of times. I have trust with my skip level manager, who is his direct report. And so if, if that person is just sitting on the call and says, I mean, I am excited about what Ashley's about to share with you. He automatically is primed to say, okay, well, I trust that person. I've had some good interactions with Ashley. So I'm already primed to know that she's competent, yeah. right? And then the leave behind reinforces that competence. So I have, I have been in situations where I am presenting to somebody that doesn't know me or anyone above me, right? They don't know my manager. They don't know my skip level manager. They don't know who I am. And I show up and they're like, impress me, right? Or who are you (laughs) immediately, right? And in that case, it is helpful to give a little bit of your credentials and not in a like, hello, my name is Ashley. And over my 10 years, no, (laughs) say, I am working on this and this with these other people who you do know. And so again, that signal of credibility that I am tied into this conversation, therefore, what I'm about to show you has this impact. And they're immediately like, okay, here's the goal. Here's the outcome. Now you're going to give me just enough to show me that you can do this outcome and that you're talking to the right people to make this outcome a reality. Yeah, those first 30 seconds are key. And they yeah. they really communicate whether or not you've thought it through. Because if you've thought it through, then I think it it gives a lot more trust for you to proceed without being interrupted every seven seconds. People all the time talk about, well, they always interrupt me. They always interrupt me. There's a part of me that wonders why. And I think sometimes it's because the first 30 seconds weren't clear. So from the stakeholder's point of view, they're thinking she didn't do her homework. Right. The only way I'm going to get there is if I ask questions. I think that's why it happens a lot. Yeah. The other big thing, again, I, I know I keep going back to like do your prep work. So when I reached out to put this meeting on my CMO's calendar, Um, for his EA, I sent a detailed agenda and I said, I would like to have 45 Mm. minutes. I'm asking, I don't think it will take more than 30, but I'm asking for a buffer in case. So I'm happy to give him time back or if we need the full time and he wants to discuss in detail, we have it. So please give me 45 minutes. I actually really need 30 in my opinion. Then I said, this is the goal of the conversation. I want him to feel confident and excited. Yep. Please. And she puts this in the meeting invite. So he reads that and sees immediately, oh, she's not going to ask me for more time. She's not going to ask me for feedback. She wants me to feel confident and excited. That's what I, I am here to do. I am here to have this feeling, right? And then I put in, I said, here's the breakdown. 10 minutes, I'm going to present. 15 minutes, we're going to have this conversation. Here's the page that we're going to discuss. And then in parentheses, no pre-read necessary, right? Like he doesn't have to go look at this beforehand. And then I said, you know, five minutes buffer. And then that last 15 minutes, if he wants to discuss this page, we have that 15 minute buffer. So he reads all that. So when he shows up to the meeting, he's already primed for me to immediately start and say, we're doing this thing. Here's the outcome. Here's the page. How do you want to proceed, leader? Do you want to have a conversation? Because I teed this up that I'm going to present for 10 minutes. He knows at the seven minute mark that he only has to listen to me blather on for three more minutes. And then he knows, we right? Or 
he can click on that page and say, actually, I don't want to listen to you present. I want to walk through these specific things. So I've already given him the option to choose if he wants to derail my meeting, quote unquote, derail my meeting by giving him all the information up front. It's so good. And I think that's been consistent with most of the things you've talked about here is we would call it a presentation and we would think of that happening in a half hour block or a 60 minute block. But you're looking at it as something broader. There's a ton of work ahead of time you can do to make it easier for your audience to understand, to let them know what's coming. Every meeting invite looks the same. It's like, okay, we're going to talk about this. And it's one sentence. And then here's the Zoom info. But Ashley sends one that's identified down to the minute and it's got buffer in there. Well, I'm a lot more likely to give you leeway (laughs) than this other person. And uh, that's why you're good at your job and keep getting promoted and all these good things. Uh, Ash, every episode we end with two things. Number one is a speaker tip unique to you. Number two is a personal story. So let's start with that first one. I love for every podcast guest to give a speaking tip that is beyond just some vague, you know, make sure that you know, your don't read your slides to the audience. So what, what is, what is an Ashley Foss speaking tip? My speaking tip that's unique to me is that I genuinely love what I'm talking about. I am genuinely passionate about the topics. And I get this a lot where sometimes people are like, well, that's not fair. It's your own content. Like, of course you love your own stuff. Like I sometimes have to give presentations on behalf of the company. Like that's, it's, that's not fair that you're just super passionate. And my answer is that you need to get passionate. I, and not in an awkward, hello, I am Ashley and I am excited to talk to you today. No, no, you're not. Are you, and again, if you're not passionate, like I think you, we keep going back to the pre-work. If you can't get excited about the work that you're doing or the, the story your company is telling or whatever the situation is, if you can't genuinely find something to feel excited about, I don't care how well you know your talk. I don't care how expressive you are when you read your speaker notes. It's not authentic. So that is my speaker tip. Genuinely be excited about what you're presenting and who you're presenting to. Well, hold on. I don't disagree. A lot of people are like, well, how do you find that excitement? How do you find the passion? So is that just I'm Ashley and I find it? Or is there... On your tired days, do you have any tricks where you remind yourself of why things matter? My biggest trick, and this is the same for theater, it's a saying called the illusion of the first time. No matter how many times I have presented this or performed this role, for the person on the other end, on the receiving end, this is the first time they're hearing it. This is the first time that they're seeing it. And so it doesn't matter if I'm tired. It doesn't matter if I've said this 50 times. For them, it's the first time. And so what do I like to feel when I see someone present or when I attend this meeting or when I watch this show? I want to feel delighted and connected and informed, whatever that that outcome is. So really practicing that discipline of the illusion of the first time, it is not about you. And we talk about this all the time. It is in service of your audience. And so when you start to flip that mindset to say, Yes, I'm tired, but illusion of the first time, they don't know that. They don't know that I've actually presented this five times already this week. You know, they don't, that's, it's not their fault that this is the fifth time I'm saying this thing. And so it really is about building that practice of the illusion of the first time. And for me, that's very motivating where I get to realize for, this is the first time that someone is hearing this. 
how amazing that they're taking time and they're excited to hear whatever it is that I'm going to say. Like, oh man, I get to, I get to share, right? Like, even if I'm maybe not excited about what I have to share, adopting that mindset that this is, I get to reveal something to these people. That is one way that I'm able to kind of get into it. If I'm, I'm tired or I'm like, oh, good Lord, I've presented this 50 times. It's like, no, they don't think I've presented this 50 times. It's the first time for them. It's so good. The illusion of the first time. Yeah. I can think of times where I've presented the same thing twice in one day and I will change it the second time. And if I really thought about it, why did I change it the second time? Because I'm the only one who's heard it before. Yeah. Why did I change it? For myself. For the myself. illusion of the first time. Yeah, that's yeah. really good. Really good. Yeah. Okay, last thing is a personal story. So this can be something that you shared from stage or might just be a good cocktail party thing. Whatever it is, we would love to hear an Ashley Foss story. Yeah. So I'm going to tee this up by saying that some of us are who we have always been. And there's this perception that, oh, we need to be growing and changing all the time. And like, yes, I agree with that. Growth mindset is great. But at the end of the day, some of us are who we have always been. And for me, this is evidenced by the fact that I used to play business when I was a kid, right? Like some people play dolls or some people play house. No. I played business as a kid and there's, I have these distinct memories at my grandparents' house. There was this long hallway that ended in a back room. So it was quite uh, far away from the rest of the house. And you had to walk through this hallway and there weren't any overhead lights in the hallway. So it was like a dark hallway with this bright light coming from the room at the end. And so I felt so powerful. So I would sit in that back room and my grandmother actually had these checks, these old, like old school paper checks that you used to write for payroll from this defunct company. I don't know why she kept those checks, but she had stacks of them. So she gave them to us to play with, like to draw on. So I would sit in the back and I would make my brother and sister walk down the hall and like give them assignments. And I would write them their paychecks and rip the check out of the book and give them their paychecks. Oh my gosh. I thought I was so boss. I would put on her high heels. I would put on her purse, which, you know, almost hung to the ground because she was an adult and I was only like eight. And so like, I would walk down the hall. I know this is audio, but I am like strutting with my chest up. Like, and so I'd wear those high heels and I would wear, she had clip on earrings. So I would get dressed for work, like in the living room. And then I would walk down the long hall and then I would like, pull out the checkbook and open the book and like slam it down because, you know, that's what I thought bosses did. And then I would like, I would like, cause you know, my brother and sister, they're not allowed in the office unless they're picking up their checks. So they're in the living room far away. And so I'm like yelling, I'm like, okay, okay. You can come get your paychecks now. And then I'm like waiting for them. And you know, my baby sister at the time was like four. She doesn't know what's going on. So she comes <laughs> running into the room. Oh my gosh, Mike. I was the best at fake business. Like I, nerd. I was so good at business. Let me, you don't even know. You don't even know. <laughs> because, you know, I mean, I was working remotely for years, but it, it's ratcheted up the last two, obviously. Right. Luca is almost three and we have generally just explained to him, well, dad is on a call. Right. And he's, he's recently been more interested in what data does for work. So yeah. 
he often sneaks into the office. Yep. And he gets yep. up on my chair and he closes the door and then we come in. He's like, I'm on a call. He does it at I- Ikea. Sometimes in the middle of the day, he's just like, I have to take a call. Maybe we have another Ashley. That's amazing. Oh my gosh. Okay. In 20 years, when Luca gets his first job, <laughs> we need to reprise this podcast and be like, Luca, what do you do for a living? How does that relate to your childhood dreams of being on a call? In I'm, on a call. <laughs> I'm on a call. Oh my I'm on God. a call. That is amazing. Uh, it's so good. Ashley, where can folks learn more about you or where can, where can they follow your work? I am primarily on LinkedIn and then I am active on Twitter. So LinkedIn and Twitter, message me, follow me, come hang out with me on one of those two platforms. <laughs> and it's, it's FAUS, F-A-U-S. Correct. Yeah. I'm reading off of the screen. I know how to, but Ashley FAUS. Yeah, you, you just like don't have that in I your just, head. I can, just, I can just read it. Yeah. Ash, you're a gem. Thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, good to talk to you. Always a pleasure, my friends. Until next time. Thanks to our guest, Ashley Foss. I love that tip. Imagine it's the first time. Love that so much. The Best Speech Podcast has been hosted by myself. I'm Mike Pacquione. It has been lightly edited and fully produced by Alicia Otieno. Music by Jonah Ramey. Don't forget to check us out, bestspeech.co. And until next time, do good things out there, my friends.